Hi. Welcome to Colonial Williamsburg, past and present, on History.org. This is Behind the Scenes, where you meet the people who work here. That's my job. I'm Lloyd Dobbins, and mostly I ask questions. In the collector's world, fakes and forgeries sneak in through every crack like burglars at the bank. John Davis, senior curator at Colonial Williamsburg, is here with me now to talk about how museum staff detect the imposters and how the phonies can be an art in themselves. Yes, that's true in almost every field. Sometimes the phonies are as good as the real thing, except they're not made from as good material. And it's one of those things in which uh, the, the monetary value of objects, especially old objects, ones that have historical associations, keep growing in, uh, in amount and... Uh, and that, of course, prompts uh, forgeries and, and fakes on the part of various people. I guess as long as there's been anything of value, there's been somebody there willing to cheat on it. Exactly. How do you detect a fake metal object? Well, personally, uh, the first thing I probably do when I see a new object is to, uh, is to uh, look at it, sometimes almost squinting, to get some sense of its general form and how all the elements uh, are uh, disposed, what is the relationship of the various parts, and does it have a sense of rhythm and uh, and rightness to it, or or is there something that's out of place or discordant or hesitant in the uh, composition of the of the object? It's to get a a sense of does this appear to be a good, desirable, and and uh, and uh, and a useful object for whatever purpose? And uh, and oftentimes, just that initial sense of uh, does the object hang together in your mind's eye? Does it does it relate to all the previous examples you've seen? Does it appear to be better or worse or average or superior or really? How would you begin to think about this object as far as the quality of it is concerned. And uh, and you get some idea, just the stance of the object, whether it whether it stands there and somewhat on its toes like a ballerina, or does it sit there like a tired old man or something and uh, <laughs> and the and then and that is somewhat important. And then you go from there. You start to look at the object as far as its uh, its uh, its materials, its construction. Does it follow what you would expect uh, the means of fabrication to be at that time, the technology that was available and utilized for such objects, or or does it depart from that? If so you a, have to have some skills. I had, couldn't do it. Yeah, it is helpful to have some skills. It's helpful to have some understanding of related objects. A curator tends to uh, to file away in his mind endless uh, examples. <laughs> and you you look inside objects, see how they're made and how they're put together. And uh, if it's a piece of pewter and it's a pewter measure of a baluster shape, you expect there to be the castings to, uh, to uh, be cast in parts and the parts to be... Uh, to be around the widest part of the body, and you look inside, and you can see the seam and the way it's uh, soldered together. And uh, and it, and if it's not that way, then you wonder why isn't it that way? In the same way that you pick up a antique p 
Peter Parger and uh, the handle in order to make it very strongly bonded to the body, the pewter would take a the the mold for the handle and literally clamp it onto the to the uh, cast body of the object, and uh, and then pour molten metal into the uh, mold for the handle. Now, in order to stop the molten metal from running into the bowl right through the bowl and into the object they uh, in the clamping of the of the uh, mold they include a wet piece of wet cloth to act as a a stop as a dam so that it interrupts the flow of the molten metal and 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 assist in in the uh, in the con- in, in consolidation of the molten metal and uh, so it'll just stop at that point but in so doing there is invariably on the inside of the bowl a uh, little textured patch, which is the impression of the cloth, and it pick and the shape of the impression is that of the of the handle. And if it has a little bracket under the handle against the body, all that shows on the face of the object. And probably most curators, and most dealers, most collectors are unwilling to acquire or to sell or to collect a pewter porringer in which that linen mark is not there. And that's just one of any number of things that one has to bring to the table when you see a new object and you're examining it and you, you're you wondering whether it's right or wrong. It's just part of the way the object would have been made and put together at that time. As a curator of metals, do people intentionally try to lead you astray? I think one does not want to think necessarily that we have people plotting against us personally or against the organization or whatever. I think there are people that that want to move something along that they might think is not quite right or not quite good or they would like to uh, retrieve their money or, or uh, maintain their livelihood or whatever it may be. And... Uh, and I think there's oftentimes a, perhaps a lack of uh, total understanding on the part of, of, uh, of people. I mean, curators get fee- uh, fooled and, uh, and dealers handle objects that uh, they, they hope and think are right. Uh, we often discuss objects with dealers and collectors and so forth as far as being able to authenticate the object and be assured that it is a good object to begin with. One of the few areas where I've, I've, I've seen people say, this is fake and this is no good, is in the movies. When people in the movies say that, do they get it right? We all are learning. I think America and other places are learning from shows like The Road Show. Mm-hmm. The Road Show is very useful, and and it also prompts one to be aware of uh, of outright uh, fakes and forgeries or or the various ways in which an object can be diminished uh, and uh, what you learn as far as the first three characteristics of, of an object a, a desirable object or concerned is condition 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 the life that the object has led since it was made is is very very important not only as far as how instructive the object is, in various ways as far as the maker and that period and that material and that 
and that functionality and so forth. But it also uh, gives the owner today the chance to have that same experience of newness that uh, that uh, the first owner had. So when you feel, see an object which is truly pristine, one gets this tremendous rush, which is... Uh, and uh, collectors have to watch out for that because that rush is is allied with a sense of euphoria. And uh, and if you don't watch out, you'll spend too much money, and you may think you're getting a bargain, and you're not. But uh, but it's uh, one of those things you have to control. I remember being in an antique shop and seeing this most beautiful lantern, wooden lantern, and uh, and it was and it just was absolutely glorious. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I realized there was no way to get inside it to insert a candle. Yet they, that, yet it looks so absolutely right and beautiful and so forth. And, uh, and, uh, I just think it was one of those situations which somebody perhaps had dollied up a, uh, a lantern and then forgot to uh, worry about the functionality of the lantern. De- details of how, how a lantern <laughs> right. works. But usually it's, usually, uh, what one sees is this, uh, lack of Perhaps of rhythm and a flow in an object. Uh, if a, you're looking at an object that is reasonably well made, that's period, uh, you're very much aware of the maker having a sense of uh, control over the materials, knowing how to manipulate them and how to create objects. There oftentimes is a, is a sense of tautness to the design, which flows from this mastery of of uh, being able to manipulate and form objects out of the material, as well as uh, having a very clear understanding of uh, of the design. So if one is turning a Windsor leg, all those little moldings and rings and perhaps a vase turn section, all that coheres in a very somewhat taut and understood way. And if one is perhaps faking or replacing a leg on a Windsor chair, one may not quite understand that sequencing and that tightness and that sense of uh, of control and easy mastery that that a uh, good and early maker uh, had. If you're trying to make one and make it perfect, is that an advantage or a disadvantage? I think it can oftentimes be a disadvantage in that to you don't give yourself a chance to uh, to work your way into the uh, realization of the form in that you just make one and you don't quite have the advantage of, say, a potter who, with through repetition of the same form, by the time he's made ten of a given bowl or a mug or whatever it may be, uh, understands and his, and his muscles and his hands and his memory is responding to that uh, that form time after time. And uh, that has a way of quickly perfecting in his hands the uh, that given form or, or treatment. Uh, uh, but if you're faking something or I think it may at times be a little more difficult. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you think about the show. Leave your feedback at www.history.org slash podcast. That's Colonial Williamsburg, past and present this time. Check history.org often. We'll post more for you to download and hear. (laughs) 